following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. This is no ordinary Sunday. This is no ordinary moment in our history. I don't know what is going through your head at the moment, what's going through your heart as this weekend has unfolded, but I'll tell you what, there's a few things that went through mine. First was, seriously, Christchurch again? Honestly, I mean, how could a city that bears his name be filled with so much strife? Maybe there's something there with that, I don't know. Another one that came across me is just thinking about Molly and I, Nate and Whitney, we were all down in Christchurch during the earthquakes, and we were preaching and leading out of that situation, and that was hard. That was a tough situation, but it was different. This feels different. It's not the same. There was something, the earthquakes were bad, but there was something natural about it. You know, this, this, this world fights back sometimes. This is not that. This is not natural. This is not normal. This is pure evil. And that was the third thing that kind of struck me is this burst bubble, right? And Gary was kind of talking about this. This New Zealand that we know, it's gone. I remember being in the States uh, for six months while we were fundraising and there was at least one or two shootings that happened in the States. And, you know, it's coming very commonplace over there. And I remember telling people how peaceful New Zealand was and her saying, we don't do this. This is not us. We don't do this to each other. And I'm so proud of New Zealand. We just, we... I think we had a rude awakening to something that has been true all along, but we have not really, really acknowledged it. We have not really taken it on in our heart. We have tried to just kind of sweep it out. This is a someone else's problem. This is a somewhere else's problem. But there was something that came face to face with us on Friday afternoon. This world is sick. This world is broken. There's no denying that now. I'll tell you what. No one knows the brokenness of our world better than Jesus. And I'm not just talking about the stuff he experienced when he was here. I'm talking about how he sat and he watched humanity fall away from him. Right from the very beginning. From that moment that Adam and Eve ate that stupid piece of fruit. From the moment Cain raised his hand at Abel. From every moment after that when the hearts of men and women grew darker and further away from him. And he saw individuals, families, and entire nations fall into this abyss of evil. And falling away from him, and he could see the distance getting further and further away. He sat in that moment before creation ever started, and he saw all of this unfold. He watched it. 
He watched our hearts get darker and more twisted. He watched. He watched as that gunman pushed open those mosque doors. He saw it. And you think we're hurting. You think we're in pain. You think they're in pain in Christchurch. This is God who made his people. These are the people that God created, that God formed with love and care, that he breathed his life into, that he made to look like him. And this is what they're doing to each other. But it was in that moment too, before it all began, when he watched it all unfold, that he resolved, no, this is not the story. This is not the way the story goes. This is not how it ends. This is not the legacy of humanity to be rested in violence and hatred. That is not how the story is going to go. And he resolved in that moment to put a plan into place. He resolved in that moment this was going to change. And so even as evil was starting to unfold and grow in the world, so was his plan. Right from the very beginning, his plan was in place. It began with a promise to a man named Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Which, by the way, is right where we're going to pick up our Genesis series next week. Incredibly appropriate that to see the brokenness of the world in Genesis 1 through 11 come to its head. And then moving into the plan of hope after that. Probably not coincidental on God's part. And so from Genesis 12, the story unfolds and it grows and the plan flourishes and blossoms and it starts with a nation. It starts with a nation that is set aside wholly to God into which he was going to enter. And he started to draw closer and closer to humanity because he knew the problem was not that we were doing bad things as much as the problem was we were disconnected from our maker. We were disconnected from who made us and who gives us our humanity. The further we get from him, the less human we become. He knew this. And so he draws closer to us, first in a tabernacle, then in a temple, and then in a baby. And he comes and he enters into our darkness, into our brokenness, into our twisted world. And he shows us him. And then the story crescendos with an innocent man, the son of God, hanging on a cross. And with the words, it is finished. It was finished. And in that moment, And in that moment where he hung, where he faced the God of wrath and took all of that wrath on himself, in that moment he crossed the uncrossable divide between God and man and brought us back to him, paved the way back, built a bridge over which we can walk and he can meet us. I don't want to capture a moment of levity This morning, I want to capture a moment of pure hope and joy in the midst of a defeat that we have just seen. We see a victory. I want to take a moment right now. This is not what we normally do, 
But I want to take a moment right now to celebrate that victory. We're going to take communion. We took a moment earlier to dwell in a, in a moment of silent mourning for those victims. Now is our moment to dwell in a moment of victory over evil in the world. Yeah? Amen. So we're going to go to the sides. You can grab the, the little wafer and the juice that represent the body and the blood that it took to get us that victory. Come back here. We're going to take some time, take a few minutes. We're going to have some music going. And thank the Lord for that moment where he decided that Friday was not going to be the legacy of humanity. Hmm. <laughs> it was a Friday that he showed us a new legacy, didn't it? It was another Friday afternoon. Another moment of violence. Another death. But this one brought something completely different. A new hope. Let me pray and then we're going to get some communion. Then I'll come back up. Lord, thank you that in a moment of such pain and sorrow, we still have such joy because you win. You won. Your Friday afternoon brought so much good. We want to take a moment now to, to dwell in that and to thank you for that, even as our heart breaks for the world around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus provided a great victory that day. But he also knew that evil wasn't going to just disappear immediately. In fact, he knew it was actually going to get worse. He knew that Satan, having been defeated, is going to be like an angry lion looking for someone to devour. Dangerous. While the path to reconnection to God had been paved... He knew not all would choose it. And the darkness and the brokenness that started in the Garden of Eden was just going to continue to blossom. Throughout the world, it was going to infect all nations and all people to the point that we end up in situations like Friday. He knew that was still going to happen. So with the last, some of the last words of the Bible, we get this beautiful picture that God gives us of his final restoration, his final finishing, a picture of hope to cling to. It's a famous passage in Revelation chapter 21. Some of you may have heard it. Some of you may have not, and that's fine. But if you have a hope in light of these events, in light of the world we know we live in now, that this takes on new meaning. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. This is after a series of visions about what is about to come in the final judgment. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This is the part that we really cling to. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. You hear that restoration, that reconnection. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What a picture. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can we have some of that now? It's a beautiful picture and it's a great hope. There's actually a couple of cool little details in those verses that add another layer to this level of hope. I want to kind of explore that with you. The first one is in verse 1 where it says, There will no longer be any sea. Now, first, that sounds like a little bit of a bummer because I like the sea. I don't know if you like the sea or not. It's cool, right? And there's a lot of amazing stuff that happens in the ocean, and God put a lot of effort into making it. So why would he just get rid of it completely? See, in Bible times, the sea was a symbol of chaos and helplessness. It was... uh, a destructive, untamable force. When the sea picked up, if you're out on the sea and it picked up in a storm, you just had to go with it. There was nothing you could do. It could toss you, it could turn you, it could throw you under. It was a powerful, destructive force. In uh, Genesis, as Reuben has told us in the Genesis series, the ocean is symbolized in this tohu wabohu. You remember tohu wabohu? This chaos was represented by an ocean. And God's creative work was to create order by separating out the ocean, right? To create, to part it, to create order in the midst of that chaos. Well, this promise in Revelation is a completion of that creation action. It is a finishing that there is no more chaos. There is no more tohu wabohu. There is nary a sign of it. All of the sea is gone. It's just gone. There is no more chaos. There is instead only peace. I mean, can, you, can there be any more poignant picture of tohu wabohu than the series of scenes we saw in Christchurch? Carnage on the streets, people mourning and crying. Policemen and police cars scattered all over the city, guns in hand. When have we seen that before? This is chaos. This is tohu abohu. And our greatest hope is that in the new Jerusalem, when Jesus comes again, there is no more chaos. There is no more tohu abohu. There is no more sea. It's gone. Only peace. What a beautiful picture. The second cool little detail is in the description of this new city. Um, it's, it's alluded to in, in verse 2. He says, a new Jerusalem came down out of heaven. Later on in verse 15, we get more details about the city itself. It's really kind of fun. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold, because who would not want a measuring rod of gold? And uh, to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it was long. 
The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. Now, just in case you're not completely up on cubits and stadia and all of that sort of measurement, sometimes your Bible will have a little footnote um, translating that into real speak. So the dimensions of the temple were 2,200 kilometers long, 2,200 kilometers wide, and 2,200 kilometers high, with walls 65 meters thick. That's two-thirds of a rugby field thick. Does that strike you as, I don't know, what's the word? Big? Right? It should. It's big. Let's get some context. This is a map of New Zealand and Australia, if you want to throw that up there. New Zealand, Australia, there we are. This is where the temple would fit if we started building it on our soil. Can you throw up the next slide there? So with one wall in the Coromandel, the other wall of the city would be on the other side of Brisbane, which means that a commercial jet would have to take three hours to get from one side of the city just to the other. That's big. That's ridiculously big. That is unfathomably big for our standards. And we have big cities. Think of what it would have been like in ancient times to hear of a city like that. Entire empires weren't that big back then. And if that was cool, think about this. It's not even the most ridiculousness, because if it's that wide and long, think how high it is. This is planet Earth. Next slide. Ha, planet Earth. If you were to get on that commercial jet airliner and fly that three and a half hours across the city, you would most likely fly around 35,000 feet or 10 kilometers in the sky. Space begins at 100 kilometers in the sky, which you can see up on the, on the screen. There, oh, it's dark, but there you go. It's really just small there. Think about this new Jerusalem. You can see it here, 2,200 kilometers into space. If you see the next slide, hey, there it is. By the way, you're welcome for the production quality on these slides. I'm pretty certain that's what the Bible says it's going to look like. Think how high that is, all the way out into space. This means that more than half of all of the satellites orbiting around the world would smash into the sides of the walls. Think about that. So this is the picture that we get. Now, as interesting as a city like that would be to look at, I'm not entirely sure I want to live in it. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of more of a wide open spaces kind of guy. You know, like me some, some landscape, some breathing room. A picture of a box that is out into space and that big seems less like a city paradise and more like... What would you think? <laughs> Central Auckland. Okay, yeah, sure. I think it looks like a prison. Right? That's how it feels to me. That's how it feels to my modern mind. But this wasn't written to my modern mind. This was written to a very different mind. This was written to an ancient times. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a second. And I want you to imagine yourself living in Israel, tending your vineyard, and you hear this report of an army 
coming rolling into the, t- into the area, which is not really that uncommon, to be honest. Are you going to panic? No, you're fine because you live close to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has a big, solid wall all around it. So you're going to scatter off into the city, and you're going to hold up there, and you're just going to watch this army throw itself against that wall to no avail. You have safety in that city. Now, in our modern day of, you know, jet planes and cruise missiles and stuff, the idea of a wall doesn't give us much confidence. But in a time of swords and bows and arrows, your wall is your greatest friend. And so the city that you were living in, its uh, sort of importance and its safety was rated by how thick and how tall your walls were. So what is the image God is giving us? 2,000 kilometer high walls, 65 meters thick. Who's going to topple those walls? No one. You have complete and utter safety. I could use a little safety. We could use a little safety. When someone runs around with a car full of bombs and guns and does what he did on Friday, safety is big. So what does Revelation 21 promise us? It promises us peace and safety. The shalom of God. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful hope for us to hold on to. As Hebrews beautifully says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Or as John 16 says, and gosh, he could be saying it to our country right now. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have my peace. You, in this world, you will have trouble, yeah? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So what now? What's our response to all of this? How do we respond? How do we act out this beautiful promise that we've been given in light of the times that we're in? Well, actually, I think today offers up a really nice example. Did you know it's St. Patrick's Day today? You kind of got lost in the mix a little bit. I see a few green shirts that possibly might be in solidarity for Islam because their color is green as well, and I understand that. And it's an interesting sort of <laughs> uh, coincidental coming together of those two. It is St. Patrick's Day today. I was actually going to speak a lot more on St. Patrick's, but obviously the situation required a little bit more of a shift. But his life still gives us a powerful response to an evil world. Patrick lived in the early 5th century. He's not Irish, as many people think. He's actually born in Scotland, lived in England. And he got to see the brokenness and the twistedness of this world in a way that we hopefully could never understand. He didn't just see it on the news. He experienced it firsthand. 16 years old. 
he was abducted. And he was sold into slavery in Ireland. And he was held captive there for six years. Working for this guy, cold, nearly starving, fearful for his life. Not just from his captors, but from an intensely violent and unstable feudal sort of culture that Ireland was back then, back in in the 300s and 400s. Throughout this awful experience, Patrick threw himself into the arms of God. His faith grew so much that he famously said he would pray a hundred times a day, and then in the night, nearly as many again. He faced a broken world, not with despair, but with courage and with faith. He embraced Jesus' promise of a future of peace and security. And after six years, he finally made his escape, miraculously found his way home, found his way back to peace and security. That's not the amazing part of his story. The amazing part of his story is that once he got home, once he found himself in a place of peace, he decided to set that peace aside And he decided to follow God's call back to Ireland. Right back into the lion's den. Why? I want to catch this. He went back because he was so secure in God's future promise of peace and security that he was willing to step back into chaos and danger. He was willing to move back into the tohu wabohu in order to usher other people out. It's like rescuing someone from a burning building and then watching them throw on a hat and a jacket and run back into the flames to get someone else. That was St. Patrick. That was his life. That was his legacy. He went back to Ireland and he served the people there and he shared God's love with the people there. And through him and through God's working through him, peace spread throughout Ireland. Christ spread throughout that nation. So as we sit here this morning, may we take on the ethos, the heart of St. Patrick. May we hold firm to this promise of peace and security. May we hold firm to the shalom God has given us. And then may we step out back into the tohu wabohu. May we step back out into the chaos in order to usher other people back in, in order to share that promise of peace with others. Man. I said that Jesus resolved not to let evil be the defining attribute of humanity. But what if that was our attribute? What if our legacy of humanity was not just that we would cling to God, but that we would go back into the fire to rescue others? That would be pretty amazing. Romans says, God uses all things for the good of those who love him. May we be part of that equation. Let me pray. Lord, 
we thank you that you give us peace. We thank you that you have become the victor over death, over sin, over pain, over evil. We thank you that this story ends well for us. We thank you for a new Jerusalem, an impregnable fortress of peace and security. Lord, help us also to seek out those who do not have that hope, who do not know that that hope is available to them. Give us the strength, the security in our future promise to give up present peace and security, to go out into the chaos, to shine your light there. Lord, again, we pray for Christ Church, for a broken city. May you raise up your army down there. May you raise up your people to share your hope with a city that so desperately needs it. It's in your glorious name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.